For those that are visiting, this is really week three in our series, and we're looking at a place where Jonah just really refuses. He runs, <laughs> and when God confronts him with a storm and a fish, he still just is incredibly stubborn at not listening and obeying. We've been looking at several outward signs of revival and several key theological markers. Now, next week, the theological marker will be prayer. And I want to begin with a prayer this morning, a rote prayer that we're going to pray together. So if you'll pray this with me. And pay attention to the words. If we believe God answers prayer, think about what we are praying. Let's pray together. Dear Father, Thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. Help me love others the way you love me. Wash me clean from every sin. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me an instrument of your grace, truth, forgiveness, righteousness, and justice. Use me today for your glory. And to invite others to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did you catch some of those phrases? Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. I was in a meeting yesterday, and one man started talking about Holy Spirit heroin. I'm thinking to myself, what is he talking about? A new drug in the streets, or what's going on here? And, you know, so I asked him, says, what? I says, I got to ask you about this Holy Spirit heroin. He goes, well, he goes, that's when we allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives, and we completely open ourselves to him. It's kind of like Ephesians where it says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So far, we've talked about that Jonah's story about the sovereignty of God. Understanding that there is only one God, and we are not him. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say this. There is only one God, and you are not him. Now, I want you to turn to that same neighbor and say this. There's only one God, and I am not him. Study history, and it reveals that it's God who chooses to show up. But we must position ourselves so that when he does show up, we accept him moving. We enter into God at work, and that's something we do every day. But it's also a story about us. It's about our rebellion, our stubborn hearts, our not listening to God. It's about that revival's not something we do. It's not an event. It's not a formula. We really want to make it about us, but it's an act of trust and faith. Now, last week, we saw the first sign of outward sign of revival is that sleeping Christians wake up. Truth is, we become what we seek. And sleeping or nominal Christians, it's 
the gap between what they say they believe and where they live. And for many people, there's a very large gap between those two. And they don't know that because they're busy sleeping. That was the point, wasn't it? It's hard to accept. Theological marker we looked at last week was confession and repentance. Confession of truth, but repentance is putting that truth into action. So let's move on to where we're at in our story. Jonah chapter 1, we're beginning verse 11 this week, going down to the end of verse 17. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet, will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Just imagine this picture here. Harder they rode, the more wild the storm became. They throw him in and everything stopped. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I, I read this, and I got a lot of questions. There's a lot of disturbing information here. One is, why wouldn't God use someone who was more willing? I'm sure back in Israel somewhere, there was someone whose heart was innocent and pure and moldable before God. But here's Jonah. So why not use someone who was more willing? I also thought that, you know, what if Jonah fell on his knees in that boat in humility, cried out to God, and the storm would have ceased? I mean, why get thrown overboard? I think one disturbing reality came to me this week was why the sailors were more compassionate than Jonah. Jonah was a child of God. They weren't yet. And the sailors were doing more for Jonah than Jonah was doing for them. And Nineveh. And I had to reflect on our own culture and ask myself when people outside the church are more gracious, compassionate, engaged than those inside the church. It goes back to that phrase that Jewish families use during Passover. They read Jonah, and at the end they say, we are Jonah. And when the church becomes less and less what it ought to be, and more and more about competition for the sheep, rather than a movement that knocks the gates of hell off its hinges and goes on rescue missions, that disturbs me. You know, rescue missions are dangerous, they're messy, and they're unpredictable. I ran into a friend this past week, and we were talking about church. 
And he said he served on his local church, and it's a good church. I know the church. It's a church I would feel comfortable in. And he says, I've served in the elder board for six years. And he goes, after those six years, he says, you know, I just really rather not go to church. And that broke my heart. I know for me, after 37 years of doing this, it's hard to believe that. I'm tired of all the church growth movements, of everything being cool, everything being staged on a Sunday. And I ask myself, when is it we're going to understand the reality of an incredible gracious, merciful, awesome God that he wants to engage this world and do something significant by way of revival. I better stop there. I might say something I regret later. (laughs) I had to ask myself this week, what was Jonah afraid of? You know, fear causes us to circle the wagons and only people who know the secret password are allowed in. You know, are you a rapture pre-tribber or are you just a pre-tribber? Why was Jonah's heart so hard? Why would he rather drown than obey? Why was he so stubborn and there's this refusal to listen? Now, of course, it's great to talk about Jonah, but we have to talk about who now? Us. And ask these questions considering our own hearts. Why are we so stubborn? Why do we treat others with contempt rather than mercy? Why with everything that we know that God has done and is doing? We sang about that this morning. I mean, the kids started off by saying, oh, the deep, deep, deep love of Jesus. We sang about his great and his mercy. The choir sang about what he does to our lives in terms of healing and hope. with everything we know that God has done, is doing, and will do. Why are we so unwilling to do what he asks? Now, one of the things I found out is that when you read commentaries and stories, no one takes the time to consider that this part of the story is actually a picture revival. Now, I'm going to get into that in a moment. But before we do that, we have to address the issue of our hearts. Why are we so stubborn? Why... Like Jonah, do we put others in harm way? Now, you know, it's unintended. We don't mean to. But as we saw last week, when we run from God, we do put other people in harm's way. Illustration this past week. Well, it's been happening for about the last two weeks. We heard about the tragedy in France. You know, a publishing company that insulted Muslim. They killed some of their employees. And now this publishing company is, is putting more and more images out. And there's this war going on. Unintended consequence, West Africa, French colonies. Muslims are now burning down churches in protest to Charlie. See, when you kind of run and rebel and get into a little war, there is these casualties all around the place that have no skin in the game. Why are we so set against what is good for us? Have you ever thought about that? Now, one of the answers is pride. Pride says, I know better than you. Do not turn to your neighbor and say that. There's an infamous story about President Lincoln. And they were in a cabinet meeting, and they were taking this vote, and he says, how many opposed? And his entire cabinet raised their hand. 
How many people are for? Say I. And he's the only one that raised his hands. To that he said, my brothers, the eyes have it. I think about pride and refusing to obey. Really, the unintended consequence of that or what we really believe is this. I know better than God. Now, most of the time we will never come out and say that, but our behavior betrays us. Let me suggest three ways before we get into the the rest of Jonah. Three ways to get our stubborn hearts to soften. Here's the first. Realize I could be wrong. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I could be wrong. Now, say it with meaning this time, okay? Here's the second thing to get rid of a stubborn heart. Realize I do not know everything. Now, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know everything. Do you know, the truth is, and we know this. Everyone has a story, and there are layers to that story. And if we take enough time to sit and listen, we could pull back those layers and and understand to a greater degree. I was training an intern one time in Canada, and we're off to a visit of a lady that wanted to talk to a pastor. So we we show up at her place, and we're sitting there, and she serves tea and uh, little biscuits. So she says why she wanted us to come. Now, immediately, my intern pulled his Bible out and started paging through Bibles because that's what pastors do. We're going to read a verse that says something about that and pray with you. I look at him and I go like this, just chill. We talk more about some other stuff, and then all of a sudden, she raised up another issue. Well, that time, he looked at me, and he had his fingers in his Bible like this. He says, no, just chill. You know, let's, let's let it go. You know, this went on four times. So finally... She shared what she really wanted to share. See, everybody has a story. And we have to assume that we do not know everything about the situation and circumstance. Three, we got to analyze all our behaviors with God's word. Now, we do that in community, not on the internet, okay? Just because it's on the internet does not mean it's true. We act like it is, but, but we do this in community, and it goes back to number one, doesn't it? Realizing we could be wrong, realizing we do not know everything. In community, we understand each other's story and gain wisdom from God's word and from each other. How many times did you get caught up in a situation and at the very end you say, wow, I didn't know that. So, three ways to get our stubborn hearts to soften. Now, going back to pride. You know, very often we dress pride up with religious clothing, don't we? And when we do that, we end up watering down our faith. Faith today has become a doctrinal statement instead of a lifestyle. Faith today for many is an address. It's an event. It's a place to go. But faith, like we saw last week, is not sleeping. It is seeking. It's a passionate seeking. Remember the parables of Jesus? There was the lost coin. What did the person do? They turned the house upside down to find that coin. The lost sheep. They left all their other sheep to go find that one. The lost son. When he came home, he threw an incredible party that upset the elder brother. Then there's a story about the pearl of great price. Where 
The merchant sold everything he owned just to obtain that one thing. And I'm curious this morning, would we become homeless to gain Christ? Because that's the punchline of the story. Will you sell everything you have? Will you become literally, financially, because of who Christ is? Now, I've said before, we actually have a picture of revival here. Now, here's the outward sign. And let me explain. The outward sign of revival is an intense season of God working. Now, I'm not talking about an event where everyone shows up and there's this emotional high. I'm not talking about that. But usually when you talk about revival, there's something out of the ordinary, and that scares us. Something that can only be explained at the hand of God. Look at this story for a moment. What's going on? We got an incredible supernatural storm. We got this fish, and when you look at the Hebrew, we really don't know what it was. It could have been something God created just to swallow Jonah. But whatever it was, we have this storm going on, It ceases. We have this fish that comes and just swallows Jonah. And you can imagine the fishermen, when they saw this, they're kind of like, whoa. You know, if they were Catholic, they did this real quick. Oh, Catholicism wasn't back then. Sorry about that. Just forget that last statement. But you understand. Revival was going on. There was conversion. These sailors said, okay, we're going to sacrifice and make a vow to this God because we know he is true. I mean, that's all the incredible outward signs of a revival. Now, it's true that there's times when God leaves us alone in a rebellion. There's other times he intervenes in ways that defy our explanation. But when you look at revivals, there's been this intense season It might have been hours, it might have been days, weeks, but God moves in unexpected ways. I remember one time when I was doing some work with YFC in Lancaster, we had a retreat down at Harvey Cedars, and they brought a speaker in, they brought this singer in, and things just kind of broke loose. Now, what I mean by that was, it happened around 8 o'clock, and we had teenagers start confessing and repenting. Now, if you don't think that's supernatural, The way they were confessing, repenting, I mean, stuff they were saying, it's like, oh, wow, you know, glad your parents aren't here. Uh, and this went on till 9, till 10, till 11, till 12. It actually went on till 6 a.m. in the morning. It never stopped. I remember debriefing with the leadership afterwards and saying, what just happened here? And we really didn't know. Now, we ask, why does it happen more often? Understand this. When things like that happen and you're privileged part of that, Don't live in the past. You can learn from the past, but don't live in the past. Always, always, always lean into the future. But when we live in the past, here's what happens. Had their same retreat, the same month next year, what'd they do? They hired the speaker, they hired the singer. They duplicated everything. And it was really bad. I mean, nothing happened. They did everything they did before. And they ask, why didn't God show up? Because God shows up when he decides to show up. But one of the outward signs of revival is there's just this incredible, you can't explain it, stuff going on. 
Now, the theological marker we're going to talk about this week is faith in Christ. Now, what does that look like? I already talked about what watered-down faith looks like. We can talk about cleansing us from our sin. The choir did a great job teaching us about that. We can talk about being an adopted child of God. I mean, that's what faith is. We can talk about how he heals our iniquities. But I want to expand your concept of faith this morning. And I want to go back to that phrase that we prayed about. Faith is praying, Jesus, be Lord of my life today in new ways and change me any way you want. We often are not willing to accept the pain that real faith brings. I know that's a contradictory idea for many, but think about it. We, we use the language, don't we? We say, I've been crucified with Christ. I die to self. Not my will, but yours, Lord. But what we expect then out of that is health, wealth, and plenty of occasions. Faith brings conflict. And when conflict is dealt with in healthy ways, I call that discipleship, it leads us to a deeper intimacy. And that is true on all levels. It's true at our workplace. It's true in our families. It's true in our marriages. Confession and repentance are conflict. The truth about ourselves, that is conflict. The truth about our God, that is conflict. Now, you would classify what happened to Jonah at this point. We often talk about the fish. We don't talk about the storm. But both were what we would label today miracles. Amen? It's a question of faith, isn't it? Do you believe in miracles? Now, inside of me, I want to say, no, you don't. We're afraid that God might do something weird. Amen? So what we do when it comes to miracles, we like talking about them. We like talking around them. But we put things in our doctrinal statements that say, God will not do this anymore. Remember who is in control. God. We do not manipulate him to our desires. So we're okay with miracles in the past. We love the Red Sea parting, and we say we'd love to be there. We love the donkey, donkey talking, but you know what? If you went home today, there's a donkey in your step, and he started talking to you, you wouldn't tell anybody, would you? <laughs> we love angel armies showing up. Say, how cool, but someone talks about seeing an angel, what do you do? Hmm. I wonder if they had some of that Holy Spirit heroin on the street, you know? We love reading about Lazarus and Jesus coming back from the dead. But dead people come to life today? We read the stories of Jesus turning water into wine. Oh, that's right. I can't talk about that in a Baptist church, can I? Go ahead. We love stories about physical healings. But faith is trusting that God knows best. Faith is a trust that says, well, God can heal. Well, God can raise people from the dead. Well, angels can show up. Well, he can make donkeys talk. He can make the sun set still. It's really his choice. There is no formula 
or prayer that will get God to do what we want him to do. He told his disciples one day, if you have a faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, that was the smallest seed that they knew. You could say to this mountain, move, and it would move. Kids take things pretty literal. And I still remember being young and working on the farm, and you look across the river, and you see some of those hills, and you kind of look around like this and say, move. And, you know, they kind of sat there, didn't do anything. See, God can and God will if it's part of who he is and what he wants to accomplish. Now, the greatest miracle, and I don't know why this is off our charts in terms of we'd be more impressed with a donkey talking than conversion, but the greatest miracle is conversion and transformation, isn't it? I mean, listen to this verse, John 14, 12. It's something we ought to catalog and memorize, and it just blows me away. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his disciples. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, you can imagine if he stopped there, the disciples would say, wow, you know, we get, to, we get to multiply fishes. We get to, you know, heal people. But he adds this phrase. And greater works than these. What are these? These are all that stuff that we are impressed with that does nothing in terms of transformation. But greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He's going to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit. He empowers us then to become ambassadors of redemption. We don't save, but we get the privilege of being alongside of people as they see Jesus. But it's not on our radar as a miracle, is it? We'd rather see an angel up close. Truth is, the problem in our culture is that many people believe that people really can't change. Can't tell you how many couples I've sat down with in marriage counseling, and they say something like this. Well, yeah, people can change, but only to a certain degree. Their core nature can't change. What's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 say? Therefore, as any man, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How many things are become new? Just not some things. Transformation in Christ is the greatest miracle. And the miracle was the storm. It was the fish. But it was also the sailors turning their hearts to this God, Jehovah, who Jonah was running from. So you see, there's a picture revival in this boat. I think all of us have been in some situations where if Christ didn't intervene, some pretty bad things would have happened. I remember a young lady that we were helping in Canada. She had unspeakable trauma growing up. And I was the one that found out the story. And it was a long story. And she was angry that I found out because nobody else knew. And she could not accept that God loved her. Now, one day, and this was before cell phones. I know that's hard to believe. You know, my wife couldn't call me up and say, hey, Terry's here. So she had to wait till I actually got home. One day, Terry stops by, and she wanted to see me, and she sat and waited in our living room for an hour, for two hours. And I wasn't getting home. Now, what we didn't know was that she took a boatload of pills 
And she wanted to die in my house as payback for me finding out her story. The longer she sat there, the longer she didn't die. She finally got up and left, went down to the hospital, drove herself to the emergency room. They pumped her stomach. And here's what the doctor told her. There is no reason for you to be alive right now. The amount of pills you took, you should be dead. At that point, for the first time, she believed that God actually loved her and she gave her heart to the Lord. He intervened in the midst of the storm. I mean, that's a God thing. We can't manufacture that. But you know what the irony of this storm, this story is? Jonah was running because he didn't want to preach to Nineveh. And he was doing exactly that, preaching to foreigners. And we have the miracle of their conversion. Now, again, we can speculate foxhole conversion, progression of fear. But they turned, they made vows to God. That's what his word says. But what keeps us from this kind of transformation is our hard, stubborn hearts. Jonah is going overboard instead of saying on the ship, celebrating about what God can and will do. There's a fancy theological term for all this, for those that like theological terms. It's called sanctification. It's the ongoing transformation of Christ in our lives. And one of the signs of revival is what they call crisis sanctification. It's a dramatic growth period due to something happening around us. And it may just happen to you and nobody else notices. It may happen to a group of people and nobody else notices. It may happen to an entire town and it captures the world's attention. Told you the story about two weeks ago about the tragedy down here in the Amish community where those kids were shot. And it captured the attention of the world. And four Amish people get to be missionaries to Iraq because of that. And revival is happening in the hearts of people in Iraq. Because four Amish guys are going preaching Christ. <laughs> Again, we couldn't put a strategic plan together to pull that one off. But God just kind of moves the way he moves. So the question this morning is, how can the miraculous change your life? We do live in a natural world, time-bound, laws of nature. There's gravity. We're deeply materialistic. And the idea there's a God who loves us, who desires to help us be what we were always meant to be, who wants us to grow into the full measure of what he originally created us to be, it is a staggering concept. And to understand that God is not hiding, he is up and close and personal. He was in the midst of the storm. He was in the fish. He was on that deck of that ship. Let me suggest three things just in closing very quickly. Number one, how can it change your life? Be authentic. That's the confession of repentance. Be truth tellers in grace and mercy to yourself. <laughs> Own the process. You know, all the reasons why you're not a healthy follower of Jesus, there's only one place to look. It's right here. So I said last week, you have everything necessary. So own the process. And three, seek first God's kingdom. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
See, the core value of Christ is woven into everything we are. I was reading a book this past week by Patrick Lencioni, and he said the three core values of his business, humility. I forgot the second one. This is all the cup of mine. I'll get it in a moment here. No, yeah, it's, it's humility, it's something, and it's smart. Okay? Chink, I'll get you next week. Okay? Let me throw this quote up, and we'll close with this. Be the change you want to see in the world. Do you know who said that? No, it wasn't Gandhi. It's Mother Teresa. Little Catholic nun who wanted to help the poor, and she went and lived there. I mean, what a word of witness. Let's pray. Father God, may you speak to our hearts through your spirit. There's a lot of stuff there that we are unwilling to see. May you pull those layers back a piece at a time. And as you peel those layers of onion away, may we be willing to confess and repent. Help us to keep eyes on ourselves and you and not on everybody else. May we not be concerned about what other people will think. May we not be concerned about their sin, but our sin. And Father God, help us to stop running. And help our stubborn hearts that just at times refuse to allow you to navigate our life. And we say, you know what? Throw me over the ship instead. But wow, what a story. You don't give up on us. Even it means that you send something like a fish to... To give us a little more thought time and alone time. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you have done, for what you are doing. And I praise you for what you are going to do here at GBC and in our hearts. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen.